you know, there's a lot of other aspects to it as well. And I think uh, the closer you get as a group, the more challenging uh, conflict is, for example. And I feel that conflict is important and it's important to bring uh, people and groups uh, together in the end. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner, and yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Tim, to Unspoken Bravery. Thanks, Aaron. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was really excited for this one. Um, can you briefly explain your coaching journey? Uh, my coaching journey, well, for one reason or another, I don't know why exactly. I always wanted to coach uh, ever since I was really young. And so, of course, I did a year or two of uh, fist racing, but then I knew that I really wanted to coach. So I started fairly quickly coaching full-time while doing school uh, part-time in Ottawa. And so I started uh, off uh, at the Camp Fortune Ski Club and then moved to, at the time, was the NCD team. And then two years later, we merged that, of course, then into the NCO team. And so I started coaching uh, 13, 14-year-olds there and then worked my way up uh, through the FISP program and I uh, was program director for that group. So I was with the NCO team, I guess, a total of nine years. And then uh, I moved to the Quebec men's team for three years until uh, 2006. Uh, from there, I then moved to the Canadian uh, women's team, the women's slalom and GS team. And yeah, I was there in one way or another uh, for eight years and moved to the Norwegian team. Uh, so I've been head coach of the World Cup team in Norway now. Uh, this is my ninth, ninth season. Yeah. And you and I spent, I think six years together. So what was your, what were your first thoughts of me when I stepped off the plane in Calgary heading to sunshine when I was 17 <laughs> years old? Well, it's funny because, um, I spent the previous two years, two years, uh, with the world cup group in Canada and, you know, with some, some older, you know, experienced world cup athletes and, then uh, I went and took this group, this young group. And of course, our first camp was in Sunshine. I, I'll never forget when you walked off that plane, I thought, wow, these are young. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was also really exciting because it was uh, an amazing opportunity to, um, to make a difference in the skiing. And, uh, and yeah, it was just a great time. So, um, but yeah, no, I'll never forget you walking off that plane. Uh, that's for sure. Well, yeah, we were definitely young. I remember Britt and I were making rap songs and stuff about all of the right. teammates. So mm -hmm. when I was preparing for this episode, often when I come up with my questions, I'm running. So I was running the other day with gloves on. So I was like typing my questions on my phone with gloves on. Mm -hmm. 
And it was really funny because when I got home, then I kind of did a little bit more research about you and what you've written or said recently. Obviously, we spent a lot of time together, but um, did some research. And it was really interesting because you had your kind of six guiding principles. And most of my questions fit into these six principles, which was really interesting because I think it can show that you raised me and that like so many of our views overlapped. But your six principles, you said, were culture, team over self, individualized development, planning, technical preparation, and coaches learning. So most of my questions kind of fit in there. And so maybe we can start with your first one, which is team culture. And this is a buzzword that we've said in Canada for a long time now. We've been trying to bolster our culture, I guess. And for you, it's really interesting because you had culture in Canada. You created that. You moved to Norway, did the same thing, along with hard work and having the fittest athletes, I think. And I find that it takes a really long time to build culture and it can be very quick to lose. And it's really hard to make it happen. So do you, culture is important, but how, how do we make it happen? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the first step in developing a, you know, team culture and, and, a, you know, team building or a team, I guess, is to realize that it does take work. It's not something that happens on its own, uh, and nor is it something that happens uh, overnight. And it's not just about, you know, a bunch of athletes or a bunch of coaches that get along well and like to be around each other. Uh, that's not really what it's about. But I guess, you know, you have to have your, first of all, you have to have a set of sort of fundamental, you know, principles, like almost like a mission statement, like what, what you know, there are many kinds of cultures. And so what do you want your culture to to look like, I guess. And so, you know, for us, we always know that uh, we want to have a culture of, of hard work and, uh, and a culture of team. And it's, uh, I guess it's, um, I mean, for us, it's, uh, we also have some advantages in terms of, you know, everybody basically based pretty close to each other. Uh, we spend a lot of time together as a team, but you know, we started with certain rules, uh, certain rules in place uh, for the team. Uh, that everybody had to follow and whether it was the staff or, or the athletes and one, like one of those rules and they're simple rules. And I mean, one of those rules is that we all have dinner together and always nobody misses that. And it doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, how much work coaches or service or whatever have to do. Uh, we always make dinner or we always have dinner together. And, and the second rule then was to have no cell phones at dinner. And so, so we started with simple things like that that really just allowed to bring or allowed us to bring the team together in a non, you know, in a non-sport setting, I guess, like not not just on the slope or or in the gym, but away from that as well. And you know, so that we all had time together, had time to socialize, and and really sort of yeah, became a family. And um, but I think. You know, there's a lot of other aspects to it as well. And I think uh, the closer the closer you get as a group, uh, the more challenging uh, conflict is, for example. And I feel that conflict is important. And uh, it's important to bring uh, people and groups uh, together in the end. And um, so you know, these are certain things along the way that uh, you need to sort of identify and realize, I guess. But it's something that definitely takes work. You know, we also had, 
beginning some help from the outside as well uh, to build a team with some people from the Olympic Center that, uh, that do this for, you know, for a number of teams uh, in Norway. And uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's taken quite a bit of work. And like you said, it can disappear quick, uh, quite quickly as well. So we have, uh, you know, with our, we've developed this now over several years. And in order to help us maintain this culture in the team, we've now had developed a set of team standards that uh, both athletes and coaches need to follow. And we revisit these team standards as a group on a fairly regular basis. Um, to look at. So, but yes, it does take some, it does take some work and, uh, but it's an interesting and a great process. Yeah. And I think that it kind of goes hand in hand with another one of your topics, which is planning. And I think a lot of coaches think that planning is okay. We need to make great training and we need to find the best snow and we need to, but all teams are doing that, you know, all teams are planning in that way. And what really stood out to me as you're saying that, but also as an athlete is I remember talking to you one time about Mitch and Mitch and I, when we made the team, we didn't really know each other. I was younger. She was better. And I was saying how we were great friends and that we were always rooming together. And you said that, oh yeah, we orchestrated that. And it was interesting because I was like, oh, that's interesting because we both were very similar in a lot of ways, very different in a lot of ways. But then all of a sudden we podium back to back weekends. We're great friends. We're great teammates. But it was all orchestrated to have us, I think, have the support, but also have these results. And so, like, how did you even think about doing that? Like, how did that meeting go? How did that planning meeting go? (laughs) Well, I think... You know, with for success at the World Cup level, it's it's so much more than it, it's about so much more than just skiing left and right turns and skiing fast. Uh, athletes need to be motivated. They need to be engaged. They need to have a lot of knowledge. Uh, there's just a whole lot of other factors that go into having success uh, on the World Cup, and so we try and I mean, I try and think of everything possible. And, you know, one part about having a great team culture is that athletes feed and build off each other. And so, you know, it's always in my mind, you know, which athlete is going to, you know, feed off which other athlete or, or, or vice versa. And uh, sometimes one athlete is maybe not as strong in an area that the other is, is, is very strong. In. And so, the more we can set ourselves up, I guess, for success and leave the least amount of chance, then I think the better chances we have of, of coming out on top. Because it's like you said, like also in the World Cup, it's everybody has good coaches, everybody has good training, everybody has good material, everybody has good a lot of things. And so it's always the question, well, okay, then how do you stand out, you know, against the others uh, at this level, particularly when you're uh, a smaller team like Canada or Norway uh, doesn't have the resources that, uh, say, Switzerland, Austria, or Italy have. And so it's, it's really about coming up with ways that you can stand out. And um, and planning, for sure, is uh, is one of them. And, and if you look at it, there's, there's a million different things you can plan. And um, But... Uh, I think if you realize that the success at this level is more is more than just the training, and of course that's extremely important, but that there's a lot of other factors that go into it, then then you have sort of have a 
a basis to plan. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of those things is we always say hard work. I think you and I both really value hard work. You showed me hard work and then you made me into a, quite a hard worker. But I think as you did that, the plan was always to stay motivated and have fun while we were working hard. And mm-hmm. one story really stands out in my mind. And it's one of my most memorable Tim stories. I don't know if this is your <laughs> most memorable, but we were training in Kirkberg, which is super steep, super icy, difficult. We were quite young and we were all not skiing super well. And at the bottom, I think we were frustrated. You were frustrated. We knew that we weren't skiing well. You let us know we weren't skiing well. And one of the athletes turned to you and said, okay, well, if you know, if it's that easy, if you can tell us from the bottom what to do, why don't you go up and do it? And so you took all of our equipment and you went up and I don't even know if you put your boots in ski mode and you went and skied this icy slalom course with your radio hitting the gates and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, Hey, this day was really frustrating, but like, it was really fun in the end, you know, like you didn't shame us into how badly we were skiing. You're like, how can we take this day and make it fun? And so how do you how do you make sure that happens kind of at all levels? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just skiers. And it, it's important that we don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, obviously, uh, particularly at this level, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it is a serious business and there is a lot of pressure um, and expectations. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff going on that's a whole lot more serious than mm-hmm. what we're doing. And... I think it's important not to take ourselves too too seriously. And especially in this sport, uh, I mean, I can't speak for other sports, but in this sport, sometimes when you're having a, a difficult day, the harder you try, the worse it gets. <laughs> it's like one of those finger puzzles that the harder you try and you know pull your fingers out, the tighter it gets. And so sometimes it's just important to take a step back and and laugh a little and relax a little. And uh it's never good to go home after a day on the snow with a lot of negative feelings. So it's like, okay, well, let's put this day to bed and, and figure out how we're going to get better uh, tomorrow. But I do remember that very well. And uh, <laughs> I was uh, very much regretting my decision as I uh, started the first gate. And I thought that, it's, that it may not end up, up that, uh, that well for me. But, <laughs> in the end, I did survive. And we had a lot more good days on that hill after that. Yeah, I wonder if I've seen you fall on skis more than you've seen me crash. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I think that shows, though, with some of your athletes like Nina, that part of her plan is to bring up like backcountry or off-piece ski sometimes to really do a little bit of both. And to because that's what I say. Sometimes when I have a bad day skiing, I go ski. People are like, what? But that's what I need. I need to go and find the fun again and to, you know, stop trying to pull that finger trap apart yeah exactly and i mean i think i think at this level to compete at the world cup level you need not only a love of skiing but you need a love of competition and Mm -hmm. it's the and sometimes it's 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 challenging to sort of find that love of skiing when you're just grinding day after day and for different people it means different things i think uh you know, you have a, a Mina Holtman who loves to go backcountry skiing and, and different stuff, whereas, you know, different, somebody else may uh, enjoy something else. And so it's important when we spend this much time on the road and the way, uh, you know, that we let everybody 
sort of find their their love of skiing also, uh, which doesn't is not does not just involve racing or training. So we definitely yeah. make some time for that uh, for that as well. Yeah, I agree, and that's what I tell some of the coaches of young kids. And I think now that I'm coaching a little bit, I realize what coaches say when they say that there's a lot of egos out there. There's a lot of people that are not willing to change or not willing to learn or not willing to listen to the athlete feedback. I think that's something that you really value continual learning and, and listening and putting that conflict forward if something's not working, but how do you deal with feedback from the athletes and practicing accountability then? Well, that's part of our strategy also uh, with our culture and the team is that every, basically when it comes to the, the culture of the team and the, the way the team operates, almost every single thing you can mention comes back to one word and that's communication. So we try and create an atmosphere with the, within team that uh, everybody feels comfortable communicating together. Mm-hmm whether it's positive, whether it's negative. And that's where the issue of conflict comes in as well. And we, we try not to shy away from that, uh, you know, whatsoever. Every family has their disagreements, uh, that's for sure. So we really try and create an atmosphere where communication is, uh, is important. And the idea of athlete ownership uh, or athlete feedback or ownership of their own program is extremely important at the moment. Athletes are much different than they were many years ago. Uh, there's so much information available. Um, athletes are extremely well informed uh, about many different things. And so as a coach now, just to have a one-way communication with an athlete saying, this is, what's, this is what we're doing, this is what you're doing, and this is the program, uh, et cetera, is just not going to work right now. And, you know, of course, it's not up to the athlete to design the programs or the training sessions or, or, or whatever. However, they have to be a part of it, and that's very important. So uh, we have, um, actually, with, within our staff and within our team, we have a communication plan so that we have a, a long-term communication plan throughout the year, throughout the 12 months. So by this time, this is what we bring to you guys. By this time, this is what we bring. Uh, and then also sh- short, short-term communication plans. So that every time we go for a training camp, every time we go for a you know, block of training, for example, it's always discussed individually with each athlete. You know, we bring the proposal forward in terms of what we want to do, uh, take their feedback, sometimes modify it, sometimes it's fine. But as long as they're a part of it, then that's extremely important because uh, not only do they feel a part of it, like they own their own program, but, you know, we have, we have ex- extremely experienced athletes and, they will often come up with things that maybe we haven't thought of. And so uh, that works out, uh, you know, that works out really well. Um, and so we really value the, the feedback from the athletes. We have um, part of our communication plan is, uh, is race debriefs uh, as well. So we make sure that after every race, uh, we take time. It's always hectic uh, when you're leaving for the next venue, for example, but, and then, we have also what we call check-in meetings uh, with the group as a whole. And we'll sit down as a team, uh, the whole staff, including service physios, everybody and, and the athletes, and just have a sort of a check-in meeting and make it a really easy place for people to voice any concerns or issues they may have. Uh, 
And it's really just to check in on how the team is running and, and how the group is functioning. And in those kinds of meetings, we can often identify little things here and there that we need to make adjustments on before they become big issues. And so it's a meeting that we sort of dedicate to that. You know, we don't try and take it at the end of a program meeting for the next day or whatever. It's, it's a specific meeting we dedicate to that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's really all about communication. And we have a plan for the communication. Um, we execute that plan and really try and create, a, like I said, an atmosphere where the athletes feel comfortable coming to us about really anything. And I believe they do. So it's, uh, and, you know, we're a family and we're all very close, but at the same time, it's business and uh, it's top sport. And so uh, nobody takes anything personally. We all just want to be better. The athletes want to be better. The staff want to be better. And that's really what we're after. So if we go in, into it with that mindset, then uh, it works very well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too, because it was always frustrating as an athlete getting all this feedback every day, which is necessary. And we listen to a lot of it, but not being able to give some feedback to coaches or them getting upset about the feedback, you know, we're, we're taught to also accept feedback in a certain way as athletes kind of to be hungry for it and to think of it as critical and a challenge to overcome. But sometimes when you're like, hey, I just want to give a little bit back and then you get pushed back, it's a little bit frustrating because it does feel like the power is very uneven between coach and athlete then. Yeah, and I mean, exactly. And like I said, not, you know, not only that, but I mean, athletes at this level have extremely valuable ideas and really interesting things. And I mean, with Ragnall, for example, um, Ragnall Movinkle, I mean, We've been together now nine years and, you know, she, she's, she's been in the world cup nine years and pretty much done everything mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, winning world cups and you know, Olympic medals. And so why would I not want to listen to what she, you know, has to say, I mean, yeah. it's, it's extremely valuable and, and they all know or have an extremely good idea of what's best for them individually as well. So I think the more you communicate with the athletes and the more you take their feedback, I think the better, you know, the better coach for that athlete you'll be. Yeah. And I think that it creates this trust because that's a, another word that is asked a lot. How do you create the trust and when do you create the trust? And I think between you and I, we created this bond. I felt like it was this bond where you could say anything and I could say anything back and we could discuss it. But one thing that I kept getting stuck on, even though you left um, after six years and it, it was nine years, I guess, now that you weren't with me. But for me, it was really important that you were proud of me. I kept asking you that, are you proud? Are you proud? And it took me a while to realize that the pride came from who I became under your watch instead of the results I had. Of course, the results were important. Mm. But one thing we talk about a little bit and one thing my friend told their coach is, if you're not willing to lose with me, don't celebrate with me either. And I think mm. what was important mm. with you is that we won together, you know, like that was a huge day when we won together, but we also lost together. And it was, I could feel your disappointment when we failed, but I could also feel your, you really uplifted that, you know, we, we talked about it. We debriefed, you didn't leave after the race. You didn't, you know, ignore me after the race or something. And how do you affirm to athletes that you'll be there regardless 
of the results and that they're kind of a person first. Yeah. I mean, that's actually one of our standards uh, is to, that we're all people first. And, you know, it's funny that you should mention sort of the phrases that you, you used, because that's one thing that we really, that we start the season off every year saying the exact same thing that, that over the next 12 months in this season, you know, and more, more, more than likely over the next years, we will win together, but we will lose together. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the phrase that we use um, with the team. And we will see each other at our best moments. We will see each other at our worst moments. And one thing that I try and get across to the athletes is that as coaches, of course, there are days where we are disappointed. Everybody has a lot invested in this. Uh, time away from home, uh, you know, work on the slope. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a passion for everybody. And I don't think you can work at this level if you don't have that. So, of course, there are lots of times where we are disappointed. But one thing we try and also reiterate to the athletes all the time is that there is never one instance ever where we are not proud. Because even though some days we don't accomplish what we want to, it doesn't mean that we haven't prepared well enough. It doesn't mean we haven't put the work in. It doesn't mean that we didn't do uh, our best. And so... So like I said, yes, we can be disappointed, but we are always proud of the athletes and also proud of the staff um, because everybody works hard and everybody is going for the same, uh, you know, for the same goal. So, but yes, that's a very important concept. I find um, that yes, we win together and we lose together and we go through the ups and downs together. So, you know, it, as a coach at this level, you know, you can go hug an athlete when they have their podium on the World Cup. But then, you know, when they ski out halfway down the next race and you disappear, I mean, that, that doesn't really uh, build that trust. And those athletes need to know that, that we are going to be there for them no matter what, no matter what happens. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I did a lot of work on emotional regulation and, you know, I'm a huge advocate for mental training, like using tr mental training as a training tool to develop mm. a toolbox, not just physical, you know, work hard there as well. And I've kind of wondered sometimes if coaches should work with a sports psych or if they should have these, you know, program leaders that are trying to help, because I think that emotional regulation with coaches is super important. Also, it's really important to create a really consistent environment for the athletes. And so of course coaches are people, but if the mood is fluctuating too much, an athlete always goes to worst case scenario. What did I do? I must not have skied well. They must be disappointed in me because we do have this, when the relationships are close, you want to make someone proud, but also taking the time to explain, as you said, communicate, explain decisions, explain the reasons why. Mm -hmm. But do you think, how do you think a coach can learn this then? Do you think that it either comes innately or not, or they can work with someone or? Uh, no, I, I think that like the way we tackle that um, is that, you know, we do a lot of work on the team uh, as a whole, but then on the other hand, we do quite a bit of work on the coach's team itself. And so we spend a lot of time with the coach's team trying to figure out how we can work together better how we can be there or be more effective uh, for the athletes. 
And we actually have somebody that works. Uh, I have somebody that I brought in that works with the coaches team. Uh, That's amazing. To sort of optimize, I guess, how, how the group functions. Uh, because at the World Cup, you have uh, quite, a, you end up with quite a large staff. And it's really important that everybody on that staff feels valued and motivated uh, because it only takes one person to bring down the whole group. Uh, whether that's an athlete or a staff, it doesn't matter. And so uh, one thing that we prioritized is really sort of identification of roles uh, within the staff so that everybody knows exactly what they're responsible for and, and that it's very clear and that whatever they are responsible for, then they go and they own that and they make it the best possible uh, situation. And so if I want Coach X to look after whatever it is, then I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to that coach and say like this now belongs to you. Own it, make it the best possible you can. Don't worry about what that you know coaches do or whatever. Just take this and run with it. And so if people are are very motivated and feel valued within the team, um, then it creates a really good working atmosphere. And so. Uh, like I said, we spend a lot of time just with the coaches team itself, uh, trying to optimize how uh, that group functions. Because the way I hire the coaches is um, I'm not going to hire four people with the same set of strengths, uh, same skill set. I'm going to hire different people that uh, offset each other and improve each other. Uh, but then the trick is to make that work. So. So yeah, we spend a lot of time. And like I said, I, I do have somebody that works with us uh, here and there uh, throughout the season uh, on, on how the coaches team functions. Yeah, I love that. And I think because you got me started working with Sports Psych, that's the first time. And I started working with Terry, Terry Orlick and he kind of taught me, but now that I'm sitting here, maybe it was you, but he kind of taught me to always be a student of the sport to learn something every day. And right. I think that that's one of your team mantras now, like always get something out of the day, even if the day seems like it's not going to work out, whether it's, you know, we used to practice starts and race for a chocolate mm. bar just to the third mm. gate or something, a little bit mm. of cheating went on that day. I don't know if you're aware, <laughs> but um, I think that that's huge. And I think that, you know, it was huge that you also pushed me to work with someone else, because I think sometimes we do need external help or someone to come in and kind of. I don't know, join everyone or offer their expertise. Cause now it's kind of crazy how many experts there are in every field. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's always good to have, because you're in this insulated group for many months at a time. Yeah. It, it's always good to have, uh, you know, eyes a little bit from the outside as well. And I mean, I also want to make it sort of clear that like, you know, we have all these sort of things in place at the moment, but, it's been a lot of road bumps along the way. And a lot of these things that we have in place are due to the fact that we realized that we can do things better and that we weren't doing things uh, at the best level possible. And so it's really throughout sort of learning and making some mistakes along the way, uh, taking some feedback that, you know, that we've really sort of grown into the situation where, that we're in right now. And, you know, our motto, in the, in the coaches team is that every single thing we do, we want to look at it 
and really be and objectively ask ourselves, are we doing this to be, or is this a level that's the best in the world? And so whether it's how we function together or how we plan or how we organize, you know, it, it's really like, is, are, are we doing this to the best in the world level? And we felt that for the coaches team to uh, work and function at a best in the world level, uh, that it needed uh, some work. So, and, you know, we don't just all show up and, and coach. Yeah. <laughs> it's much more, it's much more involved than that. So, and, you know, as a result, or, you know, because of sort of that philosophy, it's important for me also to have continuity in the coaching staff. Uh, I, I don't like to make a lot of, of course, we're always going to have changes now and then, but uh, I do like to keep the same group together for, uh, for some time uh, to, to build that. Yeah, I think that's so, all of those are so important. It's so important because you're looking at what you can do to change, learning from those mistakes and also realizing their mistakes, which we as athletes try to do. But I think that that's an amazing thing because then you're never stagnant, you're learning. And that's what I was going to say too. Everywhere you coached, you stayed there for three years or more, which is really special because you can kind of get to know these athletes, get to know coaches, create continuity, and then have a little bit of say what happens in the future or what you're doing wrong or make those changes. Yeah. I mean, there's so much learning that goes on. And I mean, it's, I think, you know, the uh, coaches also, I feel are, are, are much different now than maybe uh, in the past. I mean, it's uh, again, there's so much information available and yeah, there's a ton of learning going on. I mean, when I first arrived in Norway, I mean, I was drinking from a fire hose for a long time before I sort of settled down and, and got a little bit more comfortable uh, there and, you know, felt like then I could, you know, really make some, uh, make some changes, but, um, but yeah, there, there is a ton of learning going on and, you know, we learn from each other. We learn, you know, the staff learns from each other. We learn from the athletes, we learn from others. You know, we, we talked about, um, you know, the sort of the team culture and, and, and functioning as a team and, you know, as Alpine ski coaches, you know, we can learn so much from uh, other sports that are team-based, whether it's hockey, you know, whether it's football, and you know, there, there's so much learning to do. And I think if you know, if we try and learn every day and take what's really important for our uh, jobs and our teams, then I think we we get better all the time. Yeah, and I love what Yansard said when he said we're a team all the time, except for that minute for slalom. I mean, two minute runs of a day, but other than right. that, you're a team. And I love that part. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, everybody supports each other. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the advantages we have as a, as a group is, like I said, we're all geographically very close. And I think, you know, we're all implicated in, e in each other's lives um, in some way, shape or form. So that yes, we have our training sessions in the spring and summer and of course in the winter. And, but you know, if, I don't know if one of the girls moves apartments, then everybody's there helping or, you know, it's, it's just that it's, it's just that way. And uh, so that, that, that builds a really good, a really good chemistry. And, you know, the athletes that we have on the Norwegian team now, I mean, they spend, I don't know how many days a year together. And when they have a vacation, they choose to take it together. Uh, <laughs> which, 
which I don't really understand, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, can we go into feelings a little bit here? And so you were with me 2008 to 2014. And 2014 was a super tough year for me. I mean, I spoke about it the first, my first episode, just with my back pain and everything, but I took confidence in you leaving, meaning that you trusted that I would be okay. And that I could take ownership and you had taught me enough that I would be okay. Mm -hmm. And I took confidence in that. And I never begged you to stay or to come back Mm -hmm. because I didn't think that that was fair. Maybe I should have, or maybe that's, (laughs) that's a nice thing to do, but I just respected you and that it was the best thing for you. And that decision was coming from a great place because that mutual respect was there, but Mm. how hard was it? Or how did you feel kind of watching from the sidelines and obviously watching some success, but obviously there's struggle and injury or sadness. How hard is it when you've coached an athlete for so long and then stepping away and kind of watching from the sidelines? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is difficult. I mean, because you have a, you know, really, great bond and you know and for me as a coach whether i'm working with an athlete or if it's after i worked with them or i don't know what i mean it makes me the happiest when they have success um because i think that's you know that's amazing i get to see firsthand how hard they work how hard you all work for that but yeah when it's not going well or when there's some challenges it is difficult and as a coach it's in the it's in the nature to sort of want to jump in and help but it's really i think as a you know for example in that situation you know the, the best thing you can do as a former coach maybe i don't know what you call it is to sort of just to support at a distance because i think the worst you know the worst thing you can do is is try and sort of get in there and and, and do something about it uh, because that athlete is no longer working with you he's working with a different coach and I mean, it makes absolutely no sense from a coaching point of view to try and do that. And I think all you can do is, is support from is support from a distance. And so it is for sure challenging because, you know, after you spend so long with an athlete, you understand them and you sort of know what makes them tick or, or not. And so it's sometimes it's a challenge, uh, that's for sure. And, you, you know, you always want to see them happy. Uh, that's for sure. So... Um, so yeah, it can be challenging, but I think if you sort of understand coaching really works, then I think you're going to sort of stand back and, and just, like I said, support from a distance. And, uh, if you have, you know, if you want to talk, then I'm always there, but I'm not going to, not going to jump in there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's important as well because it's, it can be confusing and, but if you know that someone's there on the hill, someone important, you know, it's like if you get injured and there's doctors and staff and ski patrols, but you still want your coach there. You still want your parent there. It's mm-hmm. still like, you know, that person and you trust them and you feel a, a sense of ease because at least they're around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course that's true. And it's, uh, you know, we're, we're all in a circuit together and we see each other all the time. And, uh, I mean, I spent a lot of years with Mitch also, and she's still racing, still out there and, uh, and still doing great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we see each other all the time and it's a group of athletes with you guys. And uh, so that was uh, tough to go and a little bit strange to, to see everybody in a different coat uh, a few months down the road. 
<laughs> I totally agree. It was really strange at the beginning. What do you think the biggest difference between Canadians and Norwegians are, or Canada and Norway? Well, it's really difficult to compare because, I mean, their cultures are different. They're similar, but the cultures are different. Uh, you know, the people, the geography is much different. And the system in which the athletes are brought up in is, is also much different. So very true. It's, uh, it's very hard to compare the two, but it does take some adjustment uh, and a little bit in, you know, maybe coaching style, I'm not sure, but uh, I think Europeans in general are uh, very used to, you know, extremely direct uh, communication. And, you know, they, you know, with our athletes on the team, you know, they, they don't necessarily, uh, you know, appreciate like the sort of over positivity all the time and and that sort of thing. It's like if things aren't going well, they want to know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I think they're used to very maybe much more direct communication than North American athletes are in particular. But uh, but otherwise, it's very hard to to really compare. To be yeah. honest, it's um, it's also difficult to compare because alpine skiing is. It has a different level of popularity, to be honest, uh, in Europe than it does in North America. So the pressure is, I would say, quite a bit higher um, when you're on the front page of the newspaper for doing good or doing bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's just a, it's a different uh, situation and uh, it's hard to compare. And so that's why also, I mean, it's, it's also for, hard for one team to look at another team and try and be like that team, for example, because... Mm-hmm. There's so many different things. And uh, so I, I've often thought about it. I've, I've often been asked the, that question. I've often thought about it. And it's, it's, really hard to, it's really hard to compare. But I know that I had an amazing group of athletes in Canada, and I have an amazing group of athletes in Norway. So yeah. I can't ask for much more. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> but I think that it is interesting, and I think maybe we should skip over it today, but even the development, how Norwegians develop. And I don't know enough to really speak on it, but I think it's really interesting how they stay with their clubs and how, when they go back to nationals, they go back to their clubs. And it is really different because we kind of target athletes so much earlier to go onto these provincial teams or development teams. And then nationals is completely different than Norway, but you're completely right that it's hard to compare what's different when the entire upbringing is different, not just being in a different country. Right. And it's the function of a lot of things, uh, mm-hmm. of how the country is, is, uh, you know, how close everything is in the country. Just it's, it's a function of a lot of different things. And, you know, in the Norwegian system, uh, there are certain things that are done and it's not necessarily because that's the best way. It's just, that's the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and there are certain things that are, that are amazing, but it's, it's really hard to compare and you, you're right. I mean, that, that's a whole other conversation. Yes. A long one. Quite, and quite a long one, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I was going to say, can we go into some uh, quick, quick fun ones, I guess, to end this sure. off and then you can go to coaches meeting or whatever. What yeah. are you most proud of as a coach? Uh, to be honest, 2008 turned into a mature athlete and an amazing person. Not that you weren't amazing before, but <laughs> but to really grow up and become a become a professional athlete, uh, because that's that's the step that people have to take before they're on the podium in the World Cup. Yeah, I totally agree. 
I totally agree. And I told you one of my most memorable moments with you. I don't know why that one stands out, but what's your most memorable moment with me? Most memorable moment with you is no doubt winning that race. <laughs> uh, we did that. And, uh, we did that. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, wow, that just happened. And that was uh, obviously one of the most memorable moments in my career. Yeah. Go away. That's for sure. Me too. Me too. That was a great day. And then I learned so much from you. I hope that came across. I mean, most of what I know is from you, but is there anything that you can think of that you learned from me that you're like, I'm going to take this forward? Yeah. I mean, how do I say, I mean, you're a very emotional um, <laughs> person and very emotional ski racer. And I think one of the big things I learned from you was how, how important that is to going fast and how much time or not how much time, but how regulating that motivation or regulating those emotions is uh, just as important as, you know, how to ski a hairpin fast or, you know, those sort of hard skills. So I think, uh, you know, I learned a lot in the, how do I say soft skills department, I guess, you know, from you, because just like you're, you know, your emotions and your state of mind can bring you to a level that's the best in the world. You can also go <laughs> a little bit the other direction. So um, I think I really learned how important uh, that was. Yeah, I think that's so true. That's what I said. I think that that got me to the level I was at, but it also stopped me from getting a little bit further. And at some point it was, I don't know, a little too late or that's again, another topic for a longer podcast, maybe, but so we're called unspoken bravery. So if you were to give a course report, tell an athlete to go be brave at a race, what would that mean? What would you mean if you said that? Well, it really depends on the situation, I guess. And, you know, I think that if I was to tell an athlete that in a course report, um, the only way I would ever uh, tell them that is if they knew exactly what that meant. And yeah. You know, whether it has to do with, uh, you know, visibility or just trying to find, uh, you know, their top speed in a, in a World Cup situation, you know, or, or different, uh, different other situations that may be challenging, but at the same time still safe, but uh, it could be, you know, something that's generally out of their comfort zone. There are athletes that have no problem with poor visibility. There are some that can't stand poor visibility. Um, there are athletes that, uh, you know, don't mind uh, a bumpy track and there are athletes that really don't like that. So it really depends on the situation, but one thing is for sure, that's something that you'd always want to make sure that the athlete knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. For them, for them specifically. I think that that's so such a good point to make. And I didn't think of bringing it up, but it's what I tell coaches a lot. If I'm giving speeches or something that you have to know each individual athlete and the athlete has mm -hmm. to know themselves, but what does your athlete need? And so what one mm -hmm. needs, I would always ask for a course report by myself because what I needed is very different from Mitch is very different from low is very different from someone else. Mm -hmm. But I think that's so important for coaches to know what each athlete needs and wants, and also use the terminology so that that athlete understands what they're talking about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's so important. Well, thank you for everything. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. I could talk all day. Obviously we can, we can make a whole podcast on it, but thank you for everything. And thank you for helping raise me. I mean, you were there for 
some amazing moments and some hard ones, but some amazing moments. And uh, you really did raise me. So I think my family is very thankful for that as well. And I'm <laughs> thankful you're well, my mentor. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to talk about this stuff. And I mean, as a coach, my time spent with you is incredible. I learned a ton um, from you and, and the rest of the athletes that I worked with in Canada. And it's, uh, yeah, the relationships you develop on this uh, in this business are amazing. And, uh, and yeah, but thanks for having me today. And it's really fun to talk about this stuff because it also sort of stimulates some ideas in my head also. So it's, uh, it's great. It's really fun. Yeah, I love it too. I love it too. Every time I get something out of it and I get really excited and I'm like, oh no, you're retired now, but I can bring <laughs> it forward to when I'm coaching or I think that you know, you're in Norway and a lot of people ask you when you're coming back, but I think what they don't realize is that you're still involved in some way. You're still giving back. You're still giving speeches for other teams or athletes or coaches. And so thank you for that. And, um, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you on the slope sometime, but you have to put your boots in, in ski mode. So that, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. And enjoy yeah. Sestriere. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero. 